Hello and welcome to Mainstream by Sifter. If this is the first time you've ever listened to the show, well, Mainstream is Sifter's review podcast where the team at sifter.com.au and guests discussed their experiences playing a variety of different games. My name is Gianni and my guest on this episode is Chris Button, who you might know from Byteside and also over at Games Hub. Thanks for joining us again, Chris. Thank you very much for having me, Gianni. It's always a good time. This week, we're talking about a game that a lot of you are very excited for, uh, based on the fan art I see popping up all over the internet. It is Cult of the Land. Uh, the new game from Australian-based developers, Massive Monster. Uh, it is a lot of fun. I've been enjoying it over the last uh, you know week or so playing it, and I think you're going to get a kick out of it as well. Before we jump into our conversation about the game, let's find out what's been making the news this week on Sifter's news podcast, Walkthrough. Sit down for a chat with your pals in video games. This is Mainstream. So, Chris, what is Cult of the Lamb? Cult of the Lamb is quite a few different things, actually. It's a cross between an action roguelike game. So if you think of the likes of of Hades, uh, Enter the Gungeon, those those sort of games where you go through a a loop of dungeons, acquire some loot, come back, get bigger, better, stronger all the time. The other part of Cult of the Lamb, and it's quite a significant part of the game, is there's a simulation sort of management aspect to it where you, as the name suggests, you manage a cult. And that requires recruiting followers, keeping them happy, keeping them fed, and trying to expand your cult to be the the one true cult, as it were. So there's there's a couple of different elements there. And yeah, they play together really nicely. What I think is really cool about the way that it works is it really I feel like you get pulled back and forth between those two modes like you'll be looking to expand your base out a little bit more but in order to do so uh, you'll need to collect a few more resources which you can get through the crusades mode which is the sort of um, roguelike a bit like you know Binding of Isaac is one that kind of comes to mind as a sort of similar, similar, but not exactly as you know super in depth as some of the people get into that game. Um, and then once you've got collected those resources, you'll come back and you'll build a few more things up in your base using those resources you collected. Um, perhaps uh, building up the faith that you've built in your community to unlock new, um, new buildings, new abilities for yourself as you're doing these different. Um, Uh, sermons within this sort of temple that you've got there so it really kind of bounces between the two but there's also other elements as well for example you can go off and um you know if you want to spend all your time catching fish you can actually just spend ages catching fish and all of that contributes to um your uh you know overall tally as well in that world in that area where you catch fish you can unlock new um, upgrades basically they're called tarot cards in the in the conquest mode you can unlock those for the runs the next time you go through so that's really you you just bounce from piece to piece and I, I tell me if this is an experience you felt but I really reminded me a lot of um of playing like a an MMO actually because it was always something you could do at any time and you were waiting for different t- cooldown timers to finish on it, other bits and pieces so you're like all right I might bounce in over to do something else that's a really interesting comparison and one that I hadn't thought of, but I, I absolutely see it. I absolutely see the connection there because you know, any MMO that you play, whether it be World of Warcraft or Final Fantasy XIV, any of those, there are lots of different systems that play into one another within the confines of a large-scale RPG. And it's something that Cult of the Lamb does, but it is it is a single-player experience at, at its core. So 
it's it's not um it's not an MMO in terms of you know grand scale or you know playing with other people. Although that being said, I do believe that there is a fair bit of interactivity with the live streaming side of things. So I believe that when it does launch to the public, and I know that some streamers have been uh, playing the game pre. Uh, Sort of, you know, pre-launch is that there is some interaction between the the streamer who's playing the game and the audience who's chatting along as well. So I think you can actually uh, recruit your chat members as followers to your cult. So there's some interesting interplay there. But yeah, it's 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 interesting because there there is so much to do, or there's a lot of things that can be done in Cult of the Lamb. But what really impressed me and is continually impressing me the more and more I play this game and I'm, I'm reasonably deep in it, into it at the moment is that these systems, they play together so, so well and the way that they intertwine and interconnect with one another makes for one of the, the most satisfying gameplay loops that I've played or come across in quite some time because what you do with your cult in terms of expanding your cult facilities and recruiting more followers then makes you more powerful for the action RPG dungeon crawling section and then things that you do there and each run you accumulate more materials and more things for you to then expand your cult more. And it's just a really satisfying gameplay loop that's it's quite snappy as well. You, you don't even have to spend a long amount of time to grind for resources, to grind for materials or you know, wait to get stronger. Things happen quite quickly and at a really brisk and satisfying pace, which is one of the reasons I really love Cult of the Lamb. You really only feel like you're about maybe one or two in-game days away from any unlocks that you want to get. You know, you might be mm. building up uh, either resources or, you know, faith points or whatever they end up being called uh, in order to unlock, you know, the next upgrade that you can get. But you're never too far away from the next one. Um, Chris, let's talk a little bit about the the combat aspect of it because um, a lot of people, when they would have seen the trailers, would be thinking, oh, this game looks like it could be a bit like a, a spooky Animal Crossing. But the, the fighting aspect of it is, uh, and the dungeon crawling aspect, but it's quite a big part of it. Can you tell me how does it work? Um, what does a, a like a dungeon run look like in Cult of the Lamb? Yeah, a dungeon run, it, it reminds me of a blend of Hades and say a game like Into the Spire, which I'll elaborate in a second. So like a lot of action um, action RPG games that do dungeon crawling, it takes place from sort of this sort of third person, not quite isometric view, but you navigate these dungeons which are you know various little bits of land that you uh, navigate from screen to screen and you encounter either enemies or non-playable characters who give you assorted goodies like the tarot cards you mentioned or you know potential followers for you to recruit and in order to progress you've got to clear the the room of enemies or complete whatever objective is in that room and the the combat feels rather light in in a good way it feels rather light and easy to to pick up so you've got a, a dodge roll and i love a game with a good dodge roll mechanic and this one has got a good dodge roll mechanic as a lot of devolver games do but that's beside the point um and aside from that you've got 
your your main weapon, which you can acquire new weapons at the start of each run or as you go through each run, you'll acquire weapons such as like a sword or a dagger or an axe and you, you balance up whether you want, okay, do I want the speed of the dagger, the, the hefty weight of an axe or something in between like a sword and then you've got other modifiers on top of that like some of them have the ability to imbue poison onto enemies doing damage over time or have vampiric effects that will heal you as you deal damage to enemies. Uh, and then you've got a curse, which is like your your spell or your ability, which you can only have one of at any given time, but they range from powerful abilities like being able to throw a projectile that's either an explosive or it creates a cool uh, a pool of this this tar this acid that does damage over time or does an area of effect sort of thing that helps clear or push back enemies that are getting too close to you at, at any given time uh, but yeah it, it feels it feels really really responsive and fun to play i wouldn't say it's got the same level of depth as some of its action rpg contemporaries but I, I don't think that really matters because of the blend of the genres that you have in Cult of the Lamb in that it goes deep enough for it to be enjoyable, but not so deep that it favours you know the combat over the, the cult simulation or cult simulation over the action. It balances them really, really nicely. I find, um, you know, because the randomly, you know, delivered weapon at the beginning of each thing can really kind of colour the direction of your run each time. And I've, yes. I was never a fan of these big slow axes that, you know, I was liking the little fast zip around knives or there's like a, a pair of, you know, sharp claws basically you can get. I remember I unlocked a, a, a vampiric sharp claw and then managed to get like a stack of speed tarot cards, which increased my attack speed a couple of different times. So that thing was just like ripping through <laughs> through enemies by the end and it was really sad because at the end you only get one run once you finish that particular like you know you know chapter of four four-ish levels um then then that's it you go back to the beginning and you've completed that particular one and you know it's the roll of the dice about what you get next time yeah and and with with each layer of of the dungeon sort of going back to me mentioning slay the spire is that when you complete one level of a dungeon and move on to the next then you've got these branching pathways to choose from which looks very much like the branching pathways you might see in, in slay the spire or similar games like that and the the only indication you're given of the potential pathways you can take to continue the dungeon is you know various icons which you then learn okay this one means that the next dungeon will be littered with resources it'll be rich in resources or there'll be an icon that represents a potential follower for you to recruit or some of them might be like a harder fight or mini boss encounter for you to you know then beat them and then get more resources or more loot from that as well so yeah there's a fair bit of variety uh beyond what, what you mentioned gianni with being forced to use different weapons on on different dungeon runs there's there's a fair bit of variety throughout each dungeon as well and even if you die you don't lose everything that you've accumulated you still get to bring a fair amount of the, of it back with you um which is pretty handy as well so it never really feels like um you know you've wasted your time entirely so that's always good you talked about getting followers and the followers are what make the base aspect of cult of the lamb what it is can you tell me a little bit about how all of that plays out um, when you've collected all these followers what do you do with them 
oh goodness, what don't you do with the followers? <laughs> there's there's a lot of there's a lot of approaches that you can take with the cult management side of things. Is that so? You you recruit followers by a number of means. One of which being uh, recruiting them in the midst of a dungeon, and then there are some other ways as well. But then they then appear in your your cult, your base of operations for you to indoctrinate, for lack of a, a better word. And then you can assign them to you know, put them to work by, say, chopping down trees or mining stone at your base to then be spent on other buildings and equipment which then either streamline your resource harvesting abilities or you can then build more buildings or advance those buildings to be better at generating more faith which is then like a currency that goes towards your upgrades and and those sort of things so you can Either treat your followers really, really well, or you can treat them really, really poorly. Um, but the the important thing in between that is to keep their their loyalty and their faith above a minimum level. Otherwise, they will they will dissent, they will revolt, and they will be very unhappy with you. And not uh, things will not go well there. But one of the the ways that you can keep them happy is by delivering daily sermons, which then generates more currency for you to then spend on on further upgrades as well. But it also elevates their level of faith and their loyalty towards you, keeping them happy for you know a little while longer. And there's other things as well, like you can then cook food for them to make sure they don't starve. You can build outhouses for them to ensure that they've got somewhere to go to the, the toilet and ensure that their hygiene is above a certain level as well. So there's there's a lot of little things as well, including the ability for followers to generate a little exclamation point above their head and ask you to embark upon a subquest for them to to do various things, which may be recruit another follower or to build a certain bi- cook them a bowl of poop. I had that one as well. Uh, <laughs> that was that was certainly something that happened. <laughs> uh, it's um, it, it made them more loyal and gave them more faith, but then it made them very very sick. So I had to nurse them back to health. So they yeah they do request some very strange things. Sometimes it includes sacrificing others, which may upset other followers so there's a delicate balancing act to follow along the way um it's quite interesting as you go along you can you know more and more automate your town as well the followers can go off and you know harvest all your farms and make sure they're watered and fertilized and all of that sort of thing as well but um as you unlock different buildings those little quests that do pop up um are are sort of prompted based on what you've done so you can unlock a, a missionary for example which you can send your quest your follower out on their own little quest to go and get wood or or more followers or, or whatever it ends up being um but you know if you have one of those you can have a follower come up to you and say hey i think old mate would like to go on a mission so you send them on a mission and then you get rewards as well so it kind of incentivizes you to try out the other little pieces of um of of the game as you're going through um uh, you know this is a game that i think that there is there is plenty in it to explore and lots to um tick the boxes for one of the other aspects i think that i think a lot of people would get a kick out of would be the you know the decoration aspect of building the base and that's where i think someone like an animal crossing player might 
uh, you know, really enjoy this game. Did you get into the decoration or was it just whenever your follower asks you, we needed three decorations, so you plonk three things down in a corner as I did? <laughs> I'm, I'm very similar. When it, when it comes to games and these sort of games where they do have these RPG mechanics, I'm very much function over form. So very much about the practicality and in terms of, okay, this person wants decorations. I'm going to use the cheapest ones and put them out of the way so they don't interfere with the day-to-day operations of my cult. But you you are absolutely right. There is a lot of customization and you can, you can min-max, you can optimize your cult to be very, very efficient and only focus on resource gathering and things that make you more powerful or you can create this little idyllic paradise of hedonism that uh, looks really pretty and keeps everyone happy but you know isn't necessarily as efficient in terms of generating faith and resources and things like that so i i haven't delved too deeply into the the decorative side of things so my cult probably doesn't look the the prettiest or the 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 most picturesque going around but i'd like to think it does a reasonable job of generating resources that i need to make things bigger and better and recruit more followers to my cause Uh, i just can't wait to see when people have made these absolutely stunningly crafted bases with beautiful decorations and go man that's really good i have no interest in doing that but i like that you have done that for uh for people to enjoy um chris can you tell me was there any part of this game that didn't quite work as what you expected uh, or, you know, that you had any sort of friction against? I did encounter some little little bugs here and there, but nothing too major and the sort of thing that you'd expect to be tidied up uh, post-release as well. I had one follower who reached old age, and that's another thing you've got to contend with is that your followers do age and they won't live forever, so you, you can't just focus on having you know, the same core of followers all the way through and expect them to become more loyal and be your sole source of faith and strengthening your cult and therefore your your lamb character. Uh, they do age and they do die. And I had one who got to old age and therefore they, they couldn't do anything uh, you know, productive in terms of harvesting stone or, or lumber or anything like that. So they they then you know, got this little unique outfit and a walking stick to symbolize, yep, I'm old, I'm on my way way out. So I thought, okay, well, I've got a passive ability through a a doctrine that I've uh, put into place, which you do through these little stone tablets, you know, in a very similar sort of vein to, you know, delivering the Ten Commandments, I suppose, in terms of uh, then they generate passive sort of abilities or bonuses that can influence the way that your cult is managed. And one that I found quite useful was one that made the made it so that the cultists didn't get upset when a follower was sacrificed or didn't die so that you know you sort of uh, can instruct your followers that oh you know there is the afterlife so no need to stress. So I thought okay well, one way that will make everyone happy is if I perform a ceremony that will quote-unquote ascend this old follower to the, the next plane, which is just sort of them being brutally murdered and you're able to then 
use their the whole facade to to strengthen your cause. But the the bug was that they didn't actually disappear after I'd done the uh, done the the ceremony. So after I'd done the ceremony, you got the little animation of them sort of being killed and them being chopped up in the bits or whatever but their characters still hung around for a while and they did go away after a little bit, but it was a little bit off-putting and I was a bit stressed that, oh, hang on, am I going to have to try and manage this this cultist who's going to be, you know, the sort of everlasting or whatever? Or I, yeah, I was a little bit confused and I encountered a few bugs where there were some tool tips and some notifications that didn't go away or glitched out a little bit, but they they did very little to to hamper my enjoyment i think it was more the initial sort of confusion as to how is this going to impact my gameplay going forward which fortunately it didn't um that follow i just hung around to make you feel guilty for sacrificing them i'd say probably that's the main reason why they were still there um yeah, so overall, I think it is a really enjoyable game, um, and again, one that you, it's very easy to to while away the, the hours on playing. In fact, um, you know, and I'll admit this on the episode, I, I missed one of our editorial meetings for Sifter because I just was playing too much Cult of the Lamb and got completely <laughs> lost lost track of time. Um, so just final thoughts from you, Chris. What do you say about uh, Cult of the Lamb? Who's this for? Who's going to get the most out of it? Yeah, so this Cult of the Lamb is for anyone who has enjoyed the action RPG games of the past, but has been wanting something a little bit different from the experience because there's been a few that have followed in the Hades formula, perhaps to their own detriment, whereas Cult of the Lamb does plenty to differentiate itself and it does a really good job of presenting these two genres, the the management slash simulation elements and the action RPG dungeon crawling elements. And I I dare say if it only focused on one or the other, we may not be speaking about it in quite the same glowing terms that we are now, but the fact that it's done such a great job of doing a, a hybridization of these two genres into one cohesive game and it does so well and that the feedback loop is so satisfying and it does a great job of sort of keeping you you know playing that's that's what really does it for me it's it's the clever uh mishmash of genres and doing something quite different to what has been featured in each of the genres individually into one game and i think it does that brilliantly it does it yeah, just it's just so so much fun. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, like like yourself, I've I've lost a bit of time to, to Cult of the Lamb, and I would consider none of it wasted time. Cult of the Lamb will be out on the eleventh of August, which may be right now as you're listening to this episode. It's available on just about everything uh, on um, PC, on the Switch, on the PlayStation, and the Xbox. Thanks to the publisher Devolver Digital and Massive Monster for providing us with a copy of the game for review. This is Mainstream. 
This has been Mainstream Sifters Review Podcast. My name is Gianni. Uh, thanks for listening. You can read a written version of this review on the Sifter website. There's a link to that review in the show notes, or you can head to sifter.com.au. Thanks to Brian Fairbanks from Salty Dog Sounds for composing the mainstream theme music. Now, Sifter is produced by Nicholas Kennedy, Kyle Poletto, Fiona Bartholomeus, Daniel Ang, and Adam Christou. Mitch Lowe is our senior producer, and my name is Gianni DiGiovanni, and I'm the executive producer. Thanks to Omni Studio for their support of Sifter's three podcasts. Chris, if people want to find your work online, where can they go to? Best place would be my Twitter account, which is at BBBoy, B-I-B-B-Y-B-H-O-Y. And we can have a listen to your podcast, uh, High Resolution, as well. Yes, yes, certainly, which is on on Byteside. But if you follow me on Twitter, you'll no doubt see all the various bits and pieces I'm into. There's a lot to enjoy uh, in Chris's work, and that's why we always enjoy having you on the show. Um, if you want to listen to more stuff from Sifter, we've got three podcasts in total. This one is Mainstream, which is reviews. Um, we also have Lightmap, where we interview developers, including the developers of Cult of the Lamb. If you listen to the latest episode of that, we've got Julian Wilton and Will Messalane, who are from Massive Monster. They're based in Melbourne, um, and you get to hear a little bit about the process of designing the systems in this game. Um, that's uh, on the Lightmap right as you listen to this. And every Every Sunday, we have Walkthrough, which is Sifter's weekly recap of the news in video games. So if you find there's a lot going on all the time, well, don't worry, because if you've got 15 minutes, you can catch up on everything that's happened every Sunday. That's all the time we have for now. Thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, have fun.